Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. Today, we're going to talk about money. It's a sentence that you probably never heard from your parents or teachers, right? We're not taught much about money, which is incredible if you think about it. Because all we seem to do when we leave school is spend the rest of our lives chasing it, saving it, or spending it. And for many people, it's that last one, spending it, they have no trouble doing. Well, let me introduce Fee Johnston. She's an accountant who loves helping other women feel comfortable about money, and her passion is small business. Fee's the owner and founder of Peach Business Management. Peach? You'll hear why shortly. She's worked for a craft beer label, olive producer, a coffee business, as well as countless other businesses for more than 20 years. Later, Fee shares some hot money tips with the aim to make your business just peachy. Uh, hi, Fee. Thank you for joining Tea with the Queen. Thanks for having me, Emma. It's so good. I want to jump straight in and ask you to tell us about your background. Have you always been interested in numbers? Ah, good question. So I've always been interested in business, more so than numbers. I have a pretty vivid memory of being quite young and working at the local ice cream stand at the school fete and just loving it so much. So I love business and numbers just kind of make sense in my brain. Oh, that's a good answer. So what's the difference between a chartered accountant or a CA and a certified practicing accountant, a CPA? Yeah, this is a controversial topic in my industry a little bit. Is it? Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'll consider how to say it and hopefully I give a nice broad answer. So both qualifications are extremely valuable. And having either a CPA or a CA qualification is an amazing thing to have. The CA qualification, which is what I have, is, I think most would agree, harder to get. It's a harder qualification. There's about 10 times as many CPAs as there are CAs. So in the kind of small business world, you probably hear more about the term CPA because there's 10 times as many of them. But in the big four of the accounting world, they're all CA or chartered accounting firms. So that gives you a little indication. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's about the level of study and experience, would you say? Yes, it's about the level of study, but it's also that chartered accountants tend to work 
in those bigger firms on bigger issues in potentially kind of bigger, uh, more corporate environments, whereas CPAs tend to be more focused on business and not necessarily just small business, but they do a lot more in the kind of, you know, lots of CPAs are tax agents in the kind of out in the community, but there's also a lot of CPAs who work as like, you know, the financial controller of such and such a company or the CFO of this company. So it's more around business, I would say, and CA is probably more around advisory. Yeah, that's a good distinction. So tell us, what does Peach Business Management do and why is it called Peach? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So what I do, I'm a chartered accountant, if that wasn't clear from our last few sentences, but I'm a chartered accountant and I work with small and medium businesses on business planning financial literacy, money mindset, and uh, as a virtual CFO. And the reason I'm called Peach is because nearly 12 years ago now, I was in the Grampians in regional Victoria, and I was literally in an olive grove when I met this wonderful woman who was the founder of Mount Zero Olives. And we started talking. She realized that I had some skills that she was interested in you know, getting access to. And she was exactly the kind of business owner that I wanted to work for. So by the time I'd gotten home from the Grampians, um, a few hours later, I started dreaming up my idea of having a consulting business. And I knew that the name of my business would have to be something that felt really natural and organic. And Peach just came to me in the middle of the night. And I just couldn't I couldn't think of a reason why Peach wasn't the right name for me. I love that. <laughs> so you were visiting this olive grove, but you hadn't didn't have a business yet, and then it all kind of came about after that. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing how a conversation can kind of change your life, isn't it? So to give a little bit more backstory, I had, you know, I started my career working in tax with small business, and then I had worked for a few really amazing companies, including Mount, Mountain Goat Beer, which is a craft brewery. And then I went and worked for a venture capital firm. And I was just a bit lost. I just didn't quite see where I was supposed to be in my career. And a friend took me away to the Grampians to have a kind of bit of fresh air, you know, bit of um, sort of reflection time. And it just perfectly coincided with meeting Jane uh, from Mount Zero Olives. And she knew and was quite excited that she was my first client. Oh, that's so (laughs) lovely. And that was 12 years ago. Yeah. And I'm still on the board of Mount Zero Olives, which is a privilege. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. Longevity. I mean, you seem particularly passionate about small to medium business. Is that right? And why? I have always loved small business back to that day when I was at the school fate working in the ice cream van. I have specifically chosen to work in small business as my specialization. So most accountants want to go and work in the kind of big four or they want to go and work in a, in a corporate or something like that after they finish uni. But I specifically chose a small firm working with small clients. I've always worked in small business. I've never wanted to work in corporate because I just love being where the action is. 
So, you know, even from day one of my career post-uni, I was right there with the business owners and I've always enjoyed being able to really be part of the strategy and the kind of decision-making that goes into a business. And I don't think that corporate would be the right kind of place for me because I just think I would get perhaps a little frustrated about the sort of channels of communication taking a bit longer and and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, I've always specialised in small business and I'm a total diehard. I love that. I love that. Sometimes it takes people years and years to figure out what they actually want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really nice that you knew from that moment in the ice cream truck that, hey, this is I want in on this action. Yeah. Um, often we don't know what we don't know, right? And what do people not realise when they start to run a business? Mm. I think one of the things that is a common issue in small business because that's where everybody starts is in small business, is overly complicating things. So we all twist ourselves up in knots creating multiple services for multiple client groups or multiple ideal clients and we're basically just kind of skating along trying to find someone who's going to want what we've got to offer. And I think the sooner that we get to the point where we have simplified our offer, simplified our pricing and simplified the way that we do things, the more successful our business would be. The other thing that I think I'd love all business owners to know is that it is possible to learn about your finances. And if you are working with a finance professional who is not educating you, then look for a new one. Yeah, I think that is so true. I thought you were going to tell me that everyone needs a business plan. And I also know that when I talk to women in small business, sometimes they have to overcomplicate it in order to simplify. You have to go through some complexities in order to get to the simplification or you just start simple and say, stay simple. What do you notice? Do you notice they start simple and stay simple or they go into over-complexity and then work out that that's not I don't think I've ever seen someone start simple and stay simple. Um, (laughs) Maybe I've missed out on on working with those kind of businesses. But, no, I think pretty much every business that I've ever worked with has had some level of complication that could be stripped out and, and now has been. And... Yeah, I think, you know, you have to try things too. So, you know, we don't always know exactly what our business is going to offer. You know, when I started my business, I knew the client that I wanted to work with, but I didn't, I wasn't specific about the services that I would offer. And that was really important to my adventure because when you know who the client that you want to work with is and you know that they have multiple problems to solve, you can actually focus on your your niche can be about the type of client rather than exactly the services or the product that you are going to provide them with. And just going back to your comment about business plans, you know, I think obviously it's easier when you have a business plan, but a business plan can just be a piece of paper or the back of an envelope that you wrote down a few sentences. You know, it can be a song, it could be a poem, it could be, 
you know, uh, an illustration drawn on a wall. It could be a pin board or it could be an Excel spreadsheet. An Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) You had to throw that in there, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think most people think an Excel spreadsheet is the only way to map something out. But, you know, we're all creative and different and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be good to start with something. Yeah, yeah. I call it a thread. So I sort of say, you know, if you have a thread that kind of draws you towards, you've sort of got this thread attached to your head somehow and it's drawing you towards somewhere that you have a loose idea of where you're going. I think as long as you feel that pull in a certain direction, that is what can kind of guide you towards, you know, whatever is going to make you feel successful. Yeah. I like that. Again, I think people spend a lot of time sometimes trying to figure that out or they sit in a role that they hate because they don't know, you know, the grass can be greener if they just did some work around some of that stuff as well. What would you say are some of the traps of business growth? So if you listen to all of the gurus on the internet, they would tell you that you they even say things like scale at all costs and, you know, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards Or, you know, I also see business owners who have wonderful intentions and values, but when they talk about their important milestones, they're always around things like growing revenue or growing team or I've delivered, you know, some kind of big new program, etc. But actually growth can be really dangerous for a business owner who isn't, you know, really watching the speed of that growth and the pace of how they're resourcing that growth. So, you know, for some businesses, growth can be actually about doing less. So taking away that stuff that is getting in your way or is unprofitable or unexciting, that can be a form of growth that can actually lead you to more profit. But the sort of growth that I think you're referring to is where you're growing your revenue, you're growing your team, growing your product range or growing your reach And the thing is that when a business is growing, that is when it will be the most hungry for cash. So a lot of business owners get to this point a few years in, everything's going well, they finally start to have a little bit of money in the bank at the end of the month. And then they think, oh, this is amazing. I've got lots of demand here. So I'm going to start growing again. And two years later, they come and see somebody like myself and say, I don't know what's happened, but I feel like I'm almost bankrupt and it's because the income takes a few months to come in after the expenses have been paid. So if you don't have a plan for how you're going to pay the wages or pay for product two or three or four or six or 12 months before the income starts to actually hit your bank account, that is the zone that can be really dangerous for a growing business. And The other thing that I notice is that when we're growing, we're really busy. We're busy doing the thing, busy, busy, busy. And people who are busy don't make wise financial decisions. They start outsourcing a little too much or they start paying too much for this or that or they might be eyeing off that fancy office that they really want to move into and they might move into it a little too soon They might upgrade their, you know, tech platform a little bit too soon and, you know, before they realise they're actually spending more 
um, then the income has grown and they start going backwards. Yeah, I hear you. I think also there's this thing, I have a lot of conversations and you must have a lot of conversations as well, where someone will say to me, oh, my revenue is amazing. And I say to them, what's your profit like? They're like, oh, oh, I'm not paying myself or I'm not making profit yet. And I think to myself, okay, can we just pare back a bit and just try and fix those two things? <laughs> because, you know, you work hard, so you should pay yourself one and there should be profit at the end of the day. If it's about business growth and it's about revenue, make sure it's about profit as well. What do you think? Do you see that as well? Every day. I see it every day. And um, not after someone's worked with me, of course. Of course. Usually before they have. <laughs> before. Yeah. But um, look, I, I think we see the same um, issues, Emma, in both of our client groups. So, you know, if somebody is not paying themselves a salary, that will be literally the first thing that we address um, before we address anything else. And I've got an analogy that I use for this that I find is helpful, especially to anyone who likes indoor plants. So for anybody who likes fiddle leaf figs, They're a very popular indoor plant, they're very beautiful and they're a little bit temperamental because they're supposed to live in a rainforest and one of the ways that you can make your fiddle leaf fig strong is by wiggling the branch every day and what you're doing when you kind of move the trunk is you're replicating the wind because wind is what makes trees strong because they have to sort of buffer themselves against the wind and that helps the tree, which we've put in a pot and called an inside plant, that's what makes it strong. So when we don't pay ourselves, we don't allow our business to get strong. So we make our business lazy and if you don't factor enough money into your pricing to allow you to be paid, your business will never be able to afford to pay you. So I know it's a stretch of an analogy, but I like to tell people that paying yourself is like you strengthening that tree. So even if it's just $10 a week, building to $20 a week to $50 to $1,000 to $2,000, you know, whatever the scale of your business is. So you are doing your business a disservice by not paying yourself because the longer you leave it, the harder it will be. Yeah. Preach it, sister. That's what I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, some people have a really funny relationship with m- money and numbers. Some people? Um, well, most of us, I think, probably, <laughs> yeah. um, for a range of reasons. Do you think it's a mindset thing? Do you think it's something else? What do you think and how do people become better? Um, it's a pretty hot topic at the moment and I really love how much people are talking about money mindset now. I think it's a twofold thing. I think there's the education piece around finances is sorely missing in small business. You know, it's something that I get really upset about with my industry that I don't believe the accounting industry as a whole is doing a good job in educating their small business clients. So number one is that there's an education piece missing in the financial literacy kind of zone. But secondly, Money mindset is something that affects absolutely every person on the planet. So we all have money mindset issues. And money mindset is really just how do I think and feel about money? So 
you know, you might think that you have a healthy money mindset and somebody else has an unhealthy money mindset. The fact is we all have a mindset. And so in Australia, I've noticed, you know, most of my clients are Australian um, or live on the continent called Australia, um, coming from all walks of life. And I think that Anglo-Australia has a culture of convicts. So we come from the convicts and then after convicts came, you know, wars, came post-war, all of the messaging that our grandparents and, you know, our ancestors was all around working hard. Work hard, that's how you get somewhere, just keep working don't stand up too tall amongst anybody else. Don't get above your station. And those people over there are stuck up because they've, you know, they were born with money and, you know, that they're not our people. So that's how I see Anglo-Australia behaving. That's the kind of framework that our mindset exists through. And then I see all of these other people who've moved to this continent in the last um you know, 50 to 100 years. And all of these people who have migrated to Australia all have different money mindset beliefs. So, for example, in Pacific Islander culture and in Indigenous culture, money is for the family and the community. It's not for you individually. So the way that Indigenous and First Peoples think about money and in a lot of Islander culture as well is that money is something that is shared amongst, um, you know, everybody in the community. So that's a really different way of thinking about money from Anglo-Australia, which is more around the individual or the kind of immediate family. And then, of course, there's other migrants from all walks of life who bring different uh, money mindset layers that they're working through. And so... I believe that the first step in terms of trying to transform that money mindset is just noticing it. So noticing that you have beliefs about money and some of those will serve you and some of them won't. So first step is to notice them and that's just around, you know, slowing down a little bit, having a notebook with you where you can start writing sentences that kind of start to come up in your mind regularly. And then the next thing to do is to, if possible, try to understand where that sentence might have come from. So it may have come from a poignant moment at school or an auntie who um, had more money than you did and taught you a certain thing or, you know, a friend's uh, parents who seem to do things differently from your parents or your grandparents saying something like, money doesn't grow on trees or rich people are greedy or you can't be an artist and make lots of money, you know, the starving artist kind of um, story there. So if you can work out where the sentence comes from, that might help you to put perspective around it. But if you can't work out where it comes from, it really doesn't matter. The next step is to start to, you know, read, listen to as many books, podcasts, you know, all of those sorts of things around money mindset to try to find something that resonates for you because there's lots of different books about this topic. It dates back to probably the 70s, I would say. So reading or listening to things that might resonate for you and then trying on some new money mindset beliefs. 
So one of the sentences that I find really nice for me is something like, my clients love paying me to deliver the value that only I can bring. And I've had clients say things like that to me before, and I've sort of collected those into my mind and turned it into a sentence that makes me feel really great about the value that I'm bringing to my clients. You might find something that resonates for you might be, you know, it's safe to earn more money than my parents, or I can trust my financial decisions. You know, there's a lot of stories around women feeling that they're terrible with money and they make terrible financial decisions. But my experience as a finance specialist of the last 20 years is women run great businesses. You know, they're really good money managers. So yeah, thinking about identifying the belief, trying to learn a bit more about money mindset and then trying on a few different sentences that work for you and then taking action. So That action might be asking for a pay rise from your boss or it might be putting your prices up or creating an offer that is so outrageously amazing and then putting it in front of a customer and asking them if they would like to buy it. Great tips. Perfect tips. What's your favourite? Have you got a favourite money mindset kind of book or a favourite book that you would like to share? I've been really getting into Rachel Rogers recently. So she is an African-American author and business owner. She wrote a book called We Should All Be Millionaires. Mm, That's great. Love that one. Obviously, the queen of money mindset in Australia is Denise Duffield-Thomas. Yeah, we had her on the podcast a little while ago. She was awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's great. So she's got three books and I don't think it really matters which one you read because they're all really useful. Have you read Jen Sincero's book? No. How to Be a Badass with Money? No, sounds good though. Yeah, it's really good. It's good because it there's just one sentence that I loved. I have come out of the not-for-profit sector, so I worked for World Vision Australia for 12 years, and it talks about you can make money and have impact, and I really loved that because I think a lot of women struggle with that sometimes. How can we make money and have impact, and are they mutually exclusive, which I don't think that they are. So anyway, that's a good book. But thank you. That's helpful. For those listening, go grab those books. That was awesome. I listened to Rachel Rogers on Audible and it was great. It was a great book. It's just I really like listening to people from different cultures around that topic because there's so many nuances. Yes, there is a lot of nuances. And Denise and I were talking about the fact that you can really tell when someone's written a book pre-COVID and post-COVID. There's a little bit of a tone nuancing that goes in there as well Um, so that was really interesting as well tell us even asking this question makes me sigh because it's one of the big questions that people ask me all the time should a business be looking to scale or to grow and what's the difference yep okay so scaling is something that a lot of business owners are chasing but it's not actually possible for all business models Growing is probably something that all of us should be looking to do in some context. But the difference between scaling and growing is that scaling is when your income is able to grow almost to an unlimited degree, but the expenses of your business do not grow with it. So some examples of income or a business model that can be scaled would be 
online courses, downloadables, software um, as a service, those kind of business models where the income isn't capped by anything. Growing is where your income grows and your expenses grow as well. So a business that can grow would be an agency or a physio practice or, you know, a shoe company or something where the income is able to grow, but there will be extra expenses that come along with that growth. And the the goal for business owners who are growing is just that their expenses grow by a little bit less than their income so that every year their income has grown one or two percentage points more than their expenses grew. Whereas the goal for a scaling business is that their expenses grow almost, you know, that they almost don't grow at all. Yeah. I think that's the most succinct definition I've heard of scale versus growth. Thank you. That I reckon that's going to be super useful for our audience because I also think there are terms that get bandied around passive income, et cetera, et cetera. And I always think to myself, it's never passive. There's no such thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> the only thing that's passive is money that you earn interest on in the bank. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's nothing else that is passive. Yeah, I totally agree. Everything needs maintenance or marketing or, yeah, you know. Totally, totally. Tell us, what's your 10-week learning and implementation program? Well, it's called Get Financially Fit. It is a beautiful container that small business owners come into for, it's actually going to be 12 weeks on the next round because I just want them with me for longer. So it's a 12-week program where small business owners come to learn about financial literacy, money mindset, money management. They walk away with a three-year plan, but the other things that they walk away with are the really exciting things. So My members tell me that they feel more confident, they've managed to increase their prices, they're enjoying their business more, they feel really connected to their business and they feel confident in their ability to make financial decisions that are going to be good for them. What amazing feedback. Yeah, it's a really special program for really special business owners And we focus a lot on that kind of impact side as well. It's not just for business owners who want to come and learn how to make more money. It's business owners who are really committed to delivering something really beautiful to the world and they want to get paid. I love that. That's beautiful. All right, so check Fee out. She's at, what's your Instagram handle? Peach.business. And you can catch my website at the same place, peach.business as well. Perfect. And what do you do when you're not working? I know you've got a dog. How old is your dog? Your dog in Instagram, he's gorgeous. He looks, he doesn't look like a puppy though. No, he's nine and his name's Flynn and he is a standard schnauzer. So he has a big beard. Um, And the other things I do when I'm not working, I'm in a choir. So I love that. And I love live music. uh, So I get around to gigs quite a lot. And other than that, yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time walking that dog, um, two hours a day walking that dog and hanging out at dog parks. Yeah, it's a commitment. And, yeah, just um, living a Melbourne inner city life. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. It's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast. And I hope, I know that our listeners will just, they should be sitting down for this one, taking notes. (laughs) 
It's been a pleasure, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.